the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. One of the most popular websites on the planet is Babylon B. I just love reading from their website. If you aren't familiar with BabylonB.com, you should be. It is a satire website. You're supposed to laugh. The left hates comedy because comedy is rooted in truth, saying things that you know are true that you might not have thought of that are right in front of you. And so Babylon B tweeted out something about Ricardo Levine, who is the four-star admiral in the Navy that Joe Biden appointed. They got suspended from Twitter. We tweeted something similar. We got suspended from Twitter, and we're both not deleting. So with us right now is Seth Dillon, who is the mastermind behind the Babylon Bee. Seth, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks for having me back, Charlie. Good to be here. So, Seth, you're not deleting. We're not deleting. What's hilarious is we actually didn't talk. We kind of came to that conclusion independently. So walk us through (laughs) kind of why you won't bend the knee to Twitter, and I'm sure I'll agree. Yeah, we uh, we decided that we were going. I mean, that's exactly how we saw it. We saw it as bending the knee. Uh, I'm sure you did too, and that's why we came to this conclusion independently and didn't have to like coordinate the effort. I mean, it's it's one of these situations where they're not just uh, they're not just saying you know you violated our terms, so we're going to delete the tweet for you. They're saying you need to delete it, and when you delete it, you're attesting to the fact that you acknowledged that you engaged in hateful conduct. And we're just sitting here like, come on. I mean, you can't you can't ask that of us. You can't ask us to admit that we engage in hateful conduct. Of course, we dispute that we did. For one thing, our, our post was a joke, right? It's, it's, a, it's a satirical parody of, of a real-world story that happened where Rachel Levine was named Woman of the Year by USA Today. Um, so we're cracking a joke about that. But on the other hand, like you said, you know, comedy is rooted in the truth. And this particular joke is rooted in the truth that a biological male person is a man. Um, and so that, that's the truth that's the basis behind the joke uh, and we're certainly not going to uh, uh, say that two and two make five here so that we can get back in Twitter's good graces. So I'm sure you agree with us that that's a good reason to uh, – as good a reason as any to take a stand. So it says, violating our rules against hateful conduct, you may not promote violence against, threaten, harass other, pe- other, or harass other people on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or serious disease. Funny, I get harassed of those things all the time on Twitter. And <laughs> people don't get banned, but whatever. But we got accused of dead naming. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this or not, Seth. Uh, yeah. Dead naming is using the name that someone had on their birth certificate, like uh, Cassius Clay before he became Muhammad Ali. We should have just said Ricardo Levine, not Richard Levine. But talk more broadly here, Seth, about how important it is that we don't just give Twitter what they want. So we, I don't have access to my Twitter account. You don't have access to your Twitter account at the Babylon Bee. Those are big platforms. Tucker doesn't either. So this is a growing thing. Do you think Twitter's going to you know, respond to our appeals, or are we just never going to get back on Twitter? We, nev- we may never get back on Twitter, but... Um, and you know, my comment on that is then so be it. I mean, I think, you know, you want, you want me to comment on the importance of this or like what, or why, you know, why this is, why this is necessary, why we feel this is like a hill to die on. I mean, 
if we can, if everybody just simply rolls over and does whatever Twitter wants and, uh, and, and engages in this kind of like reality denial where we all have to use the language they want us to use, uh, affirm the things they want us to affirm, refuse to deny things that we wish to deny, then we're just get, we're handing them power that they shouldn't have over us. We're giving them more power than they should have over us. And so I think that Twitter will, will face, if they eventually get to the point where they're asking people to, uh, uh, to, to, to say and believe or not say what they believe, um, things that are just so outrageous and outlandish and insane um, that, that people in large numbers finally say, you know, no, we're not going along with this. We're not deleting our tweets. We're not, we're not going to abide by your rules. Twitter's going to ban themselves into irrelevance at some point. Um, but un- unless and un- unless and until somebody takes a stand, a bold stand, somebody with a following that's got some influence, people aren't going to be emboldened to follow suit. And I think that once you get one person that stands up, another might feel a little emboldened to do it. And then another and then another. And the next thing you know, you've got a mass of people who are standing in, the, in defense of truth and reason and goodness uh, and freedom. Um, and maybe that'll happen. I don't know. Uh that wasn't what we were originally planning on, like trying to lead that charge. We were just simply standing on principle and saying the right thing to do is not delete this tweet. Yeah, and it's interesting. So Dan Bongino tweeted out my tweet as well, and he hasn't been banned. So Twitter is, in some ways, they don't want to escalate this further. They don't want to draw more attention to it. Uh, it seems as if they are fine with you and I not being on Twitter, fine with Tucker, <laughs> but are they really willing to purge the entire conservative movement? That's a question, right? And so there's now rumblings that someone you know that has come on your podcast, the world's wealthiest man, Elon Musk, very well might be starting his own social media site. What are you hearing with this? I think it's a possibility. I mean, he did tweet about it. So he's like, he's gone on the record saying that he's, uh, that he's exploring this very seriously, this idea of, of potentially either um, um, well, I mean, what he was with the specific question that he was dealing with in his Twitter poll was, is Twitter committed to free speech? And he was telling people, you know, the results of this poll are going to have important consequences. So I'm going to act on the basis of the results of this poll. And 70 percent of people said, no, uh, Twitter is not dedicated to free speech. They don't value that. Um, and so, you know, he's now asking, well, what should be done about it? Should it is a new platform necessary? Um, I think, you know, Musk is a man of action. He likes to solve problems. And he has resources like nobody's ever had to, to go after and solve <laughs> That's problems. True. And he's a pretty smart guy. So, you know, I don't think he does. He doesn't just go to the public with stuff like this lightly. I'm sure there's things that he's like toyed with the idea of doing something and then didn't do it. Um, I think he even he even thought about making a candy company at one point and then and then uh, didn't end up going forward with that. Um, but, you know, he's I think I think speech he's called himself a free speech absolutist, which I love. Um and uh, and if, if, if it really matters to him that much and he feels it's that important for the health of our society, of our democracy, that we have free expression, then who knows? He may take action here and try to do something. Um, I just have questions about, you know, uh, how effective these alternative platforms can be. So, yeah, what, what would that potentially – I mean, Elon could buy Twitter based on the market cap right now. I mean, it would probably be – the share price would skyrocket, right? But I suppose – I mean, there's Truth Social coming out, there's Parler, there's Getter. Is there a need for kind of a less outwardly conservative social media site? And would Elon, would Elon potentially lead that? Well, I mean, if it's a free speech social media platform, it's a conservative platform. 
I, th- what, what do leftists hate more than free speech? I mean, it, what do they, what do they love more than censorship? Um, you know, it's, it's like, it's right up there with talking to little kids about sex and gender. It's one of their favorite things. Right. Um, so I, I mean, they uh, misinformation and hate speech, they want to clamp down on those so aggressively. And of course, you know, their definition of misinformation and hate speech is just like opinions that they don't like. It's people that they don't like for the most part. Um, obviously, you know, there's, there's unlawful and, and, and terrible speech that, that moderation is sometimes warranted for. But the left really loves censorship. They really love censorship of views that they disagree with because they consider words that they disagree with to be violence. And they have to, and they have to do away with that. So um, even if Musk were to do something that was more like politically central or, or, or neutral um, and that wasn't like a conservative haven or pitched that way to the public, he would still have this problem of he's pursuing a free speech platform. Leftists aren't going to leave Twitter in droves for a free speech platform when they want heavy-handed censorship. So in my mind, you know, there is, there is some sensibility, I think, to the, the possibility of Trump taking over Twitter. If that's even, I, is it feasible? I don't know. I don't know with anything about that kind of stuff, deals at that level for a you know, public company like that. Um, but if he were to do that, then they might stay on the platform because they have no alternative. They have nowhere else to go. Where else are they going to go? They're good. They would have to go start their own um, censorship heavy platform, um, you know, and they would have to decide whether they wanted to flee. They, they'd be in the position that conservatives are in now uh, being on a platform that doesn't want them there. Um, uh, leftists would be on a platform that they don't want any part in and they would have to decide, do they want to leave it and, and to create a new one? So I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know if, a, if an alternative is ever really going to get off the ground and, and chip away at the market share of these major companies that, that have tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of daily active users and, and function as the public square of the modern age. So talk about the success your website is having, uh, BabylonB.com. I mean, it's hard to kind of distinguish some of the headlines from reality, which I think why, you know, it's so successful. For example, are you a woman? 12 signs to look for, BabylonB.com. <laughs> um, some of those are good, by the way. If you read through that, it's pretty funny. It's, it's pretty hilarious. Funny. No, I mean, I could yeah. read some of them on here. Or it says, Leah Thomas confused as to why teammates keep asking her to open pickle jars. <laughs> I mean, it's so on the edge that you could circulate these to your friends and they have to do kind of a double glance. Like, that could be true. I mean, yeah. in a world where satire is so closely blended with reality. So talk, talk, I mean, your website, I mean, your entire news media kind of empire is exploding. Yeah. Well, I mean, the success, this this idea that, you know, these this, these headlines are so believable. I mean, that's true, but I think that's... Uh, I think that it, it, this is a point I often make is that's that's definitely an indictment of reality, right? Reality is too close to satire, not the other way around. And uh, and we may, when we make a joke about CNN uh, praising the Taliban for responsibly wearing masks, the reason that that goes viral and that so many people share it and so many people think it's funny um, is because that's it's it's great commentary on CNN and their bias. It's because of their track record that that joke lands and that it, and that it's really funny. Um, but it's believable also because of their track record, and that's why you know sometimes there's some confusion and and our stories have to get fact checked uh, and rated false uh, before you buy into this dangerous misinformation. But yeah, we've we've seen a tremendous amount of success because I think I think one of the reasons, honestly, why I feel like we're being so successful right now is because we're doing something that a lot of comedians today aren't willing to do. Instead of promoting the popular narrative, we're poking holes in it, and that's what comedians are supposed to do. You're supposed to poke holes in it. You're supposed to um, subject these things to scrutiny 
and ridicule say, are we okay with this stuff? Are we okay with these ideas? Are we okay with these policies? Are, are, are these people hypocrites that are, that are pushing this stuff on us? You know, the comedian is supposed to examine that stuff and challenge that stuff and do it in a lighthearted way, in a fun way, that, uh, but, that, but that exposes and points to the truth. And a lot of comedians are just interested in promoting the popular narrative instead of poking holes in it. So comedians who are willing to challenge the narrative are going to get a huge audience because that's what real comedy does. Um, so if we're doing that effectively, that's the reason that we're growing. It's terrific. Well, this one, what is a woman? 12 signs to look for is one of the funniest things I've read in a long time. Babylon.com. <laughs> yeah, read a couple of those. It, it, it's a good article. Yeah. Are you always cold? Uh, do you, has a human being ever popped out of you? Do you have two X chromosomes? <laughs> And others that I'm sure would offend many listeners in our audience. They're like, that's not true. Well, it kind of is. Let's play cut 13 here of the CEO of Twitter, Parag Agarwal, during a 2020 speech saying, quote, our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment. Then I want your reaction, Seth. Play cut 13. Our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment, but our role is to serve a healthy public conversation. And our moves are reflective of things that we believe lead to a healthier public conversation. The kinds of things that we we do to what about this is to focus less on thinking about free speech, but thinking about how the times have changed. One of the changes today that we see is speech is easy on the internet. Most people can speak. Where our role is particularly emphasized is who can be heard. Seth, your reaction, if you can understand that. Who can be heard? They're going to decide who can be heard. Um, you know, Twitter has held themselves out there. Even if you, even if they're, you, you can read their hateful conduct policy. I'm going to, I'm going to read like a little brief section of this real quick, right above where we supposedly, you and I violated this policy. It says that Twitter's mission is to give everyone the power to create and share ideas and information and to express their opinions and beliefs without barriers. Free expression is a human right. We believe that everyone has a voice and the right to use it. Our role is to serve the public conversation, which requires representation of a diverse range of perspectives. That sounds like a ringing tribute to free expression right there. I mean, it sounds like they're all about free speech. But then when you actually dig down into their terms of service, you know, they have these policies that are based on like an ideology, a very progressive ideology that most people don't even agree with. The majority of Americans don't agree with it, but it's baked into the terms of service. So you have to agree with it in order to use the, pat the, the platform. So on the one hand, they're saying you know, what, they're, what they're giving with one hand, they're taking away with the other and saying that we, this is a free speech place. We want everyone to express their ideas and be free to express their ideas. But then with the other hand, they take that away and say, oh, but your ideas have to line up with our, our extremely radical progressive ideology. Are you cool with that? So are you optimistic that this is going to kind of help red pill a bunch of people like the work you're doing? Kind of, I mean, I, I have a term that I use, which is called like the Rogan voter, right? The Joe Rogan voter, they're not a radical, they're politically independent. You know, they might be more libertarian, which I'm not, but whatever, you know, but they definitely don't like petty authoritarianism. They don't like inconsistencies. They don't like people getting clamped down for humor. You know, the type of demographic I'm talking about. That's 15 to 20 million yeah. people strong who otherwise would have been reliable Democrats. Like you can call them kind of the Rogan swing voter. I can't imagine this sort of pattern of behavior makes them more likely to become leftists. I don't think so. I mean, they're pretty fired up about it, too. You know, I know people like Rogan are supportive of us, of both of us, for, you know, taking a stand 
and not backing down. Um, you know, they're not necessarily, these are not necessarily conservatives, but yeah, they, they value freedom uh, and they don't like to see people's freedom being that's trampled exactly on. Right. Um, and I think that's an, that's, that's an important thing to unify around. You know, if we can't agree on everything as, as conservatives, well, at least if we're unifying around freedom, then we have the right to disagree with each other on those other things. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm happy to lock hands, uh, you know, or, or walk in lockstep with people who, who value freedom like that. Uh, I'm honored to share a Twitter jail cell with you. I think it's, it's very noble of you and, and very brave of you to be taking a stand on this. I mean, look, you and I both stand to gain a lot by being on Twitter. We have large platforms on there. We reach a tremendous amount of people. We're connected to a bunch of people. We're in the conversation when we're on that platform. If we refuse to delete the tweet and get back on there, we're really giving something up. Uh, I don't know that people really realize how much you give up when you have a, when you have a voice in a platform like that and you, and you sideline. I mean, it's the reason that I'm connected to Elon Musk and Joe Rogan and all these people, you know, is because of Twitter. Um, and so, you know, to, to sideline yourself from that is a, is a big thing. And, and this whole conversation, I'd be very interested in hearing your perspective on like, what is the answer to this? What is it? Is it, is it legislation? Does Congress yeah, I mean, fix this problem? How do we fix this? We problem? only have 30 seconds left, so we don't have enough time to go for it. But yeah, look, I mean, yes, we should have broke up these companies a long time ago. We should have had, I think, you know, much more robust free speech protections for any sort of company that has, 50 to 100 million plus users. I mean, that, that's no, that, that, that's not the same free speech protections for like a local bowling club, right? Or right, a local right. florist. I mean, you are now the essential public square. And anyone who right. rejects that, I think has, think has no prudence at all whatsoever in how to approach policy. And then finally, we have to create our own, um, our own competitors. We, and that's what Truth Social is trying to do. And Elon mm-hmm. could just totally change the game. But we're out of time. BabylonB.com. Seth, thank you so much. And uh, jail's not too bad with you, I have to say. <laughs> so, because more. Thanks, Charlie. We don't want to go to real jail. That's where they want I know. us. All right. Um, thank that's you. That's next. Appreciate it. Hope not. All right. Email us your thoughts, freedom at charliekirk.com, and subscribe to the Charlie Kirk Show podcast. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.